Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. If you have your Bibles with, uh, with you tonight, open them. You can, if you wish, to, with me to John chapter 8. We're going to use this as our golden text, or our, our not our golden text, but our springboard text. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Uh, from the English Standard Version, Jesus answered, answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We've been talking for the last three weeks. This will be the fourth message in the series and probably the last one on the power of forgiveness. And we've talked about forgiveness at some length and we've talked about boundaries and all that kind of stuff. But tonight I want to focus on forgiving yourself. A lot of people find it easier to forgive others than they do themselves. And that's probably because you know yourself better than you know those other people. And we feel guilty because we are innate, innately born with a sense of right and wrong. Every human being. Uh, now, I understand that it's warped. You know, it, it's warped, you know. Uh, but in everyone other than a sociopath, that, that sense of right and wrong is there. It can be and is conditioned by your family of origin. You know, how you grew up and your parents trained you and everything. Your education, you know, and your culture. Uh, but even after all of that manipulation, it's, it's still there. We have a word for it. In English, we call it conscience. We call it conscience. And in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul says, For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law. Now the word, I like the way the New American Standard translates that as instinctively because the word in Greek is phusis. It means the very nature, we, from our very nature, we know right from wrong. It's the way God made us. We are sentient beings. We are made in his image. And so we do know right from wrong. Uh, he says, when they, the Gentiles who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, uh, these, these Gentiles, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them. And so we're all born with this innate sense of right and wrong. And again, that sense is trained by a great many things. But when we violate our conscience, when we get sideways with that sense of right and wrong, the scripture talks right here, Paul talks about our thoughts accusing us. 
It causes us psychological pain and discomfort. We have a word for that. It's called guilt. Guilt. How many of you are well familiar with guilt? Many times the red and blue flashing lights behind you are testifying to your guilt. Um, you know, it, very interesting. You know, we were laughing about it the other day that when I was a cop, I wrote a guy, I only wrote one of these. In my entire time as a police officer, I only wrote one ticket for littering. And this guy was in a pickup truck and he was merging on to Interstate 20. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was sitting in the median running radar and I watched him throw a pop bottle he, out, of the, out of the window, his driver's side window of his pickup truck, you know, and pretty good toss way over into the ditch. So I just pulled in behind him and he goes, was I going too fast? I said, no, you were littering. And he said, what? I said, you were littering. I said, just as you pulled on the interstate back there, I saw you throw that empty pop bottle into the ditch. That's littering. That is unlawful. You get an attaboy. I didn't say that. <laughs> he could not believe that he was getting a ticket for littering. Because his conscience did not bother him at all. You know, some people, just, I've seen people just open their car door, just dump stuff out on the road, you know. And my mama made sure that my conscience wouldn't let me do that. All right. But when you have guilt, unresolved guilt, it quickly can become condemnation. Condemnation is guilt on steroids. It's guilt magnified. And that leads to all kinds. When we, we are working and laboring under condemnation, that sense of shame and that sense that I, 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 I wish I could draw it. How many of you ever read the cartoon Ziggy? You know, Ziggy was this little round guy, you know, and everything. And there was one Ziggy cartoon where Ziggy is just walking along and a giant hand was coming down from heaven like this, like it was just going to go boom and flick him into, you know, next month. And that's the way some people feel. They feel, and I'm talking about Christians now, feel that God is angry with them, that God is displeased with them. Now, I'm here to tell you, God is not pleased with all of our behavior, but God is able to separate us from our behavior. Is anybody besides me glad about that? All right. Uh, guilt and condemnation can cause people to do strange things. And guilt, we can't live with guilt. Not for an extended period of time. We will resolve it one way or another because we can't stay. If it's that heavy, we cannot stay in the position of crisis. The, the, the burden of carrying it demands that we do something. Now, it is good to have a tender conscience. How many of you, how many of you would, are aware of that? As long as we can resolve having violated it and the guilt. Punishing it only works temporarily. Punishing the guilt. I used to wonder about that when I was a much younger Christian. I remember when I was in the army, I was, going, I was attending a... Baptist Church up in Massachusetts and 
I was in uh, training. I was based up there. And he, you know, there was a, there was a kid that would come on occasion, a kid, he was a soldier, who would come, who was in my platoon, so I knew him, and he would come to church about once a month. I was there in that AIT for nearly nine months, and so I knew it, you know, and he would come to church on occasion, and whenever he would, you know, and the pastor would give the altar call for rededication, he would get up without fail and go down there and I could hear him crying out, Oh God, I am a nasty, I don't deserve your, 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 your mercy. I don't deserve your love. How can you love a slime ball like me? And on and on. And one of the deacons would go and sit with him and encourage him and everything. And then he would walk out feeling much better. And then I would watch as in the following week, he was right back where he was. There was no change. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't sincere. But what I am saying is that he punished his guilt, which caused him to feel better for a while. Because you did your penance. But there is no true resolution because it's still there underneath the surface. You may have put a coat of paint over it, but it's still there. Everybody know what I'm talking about. Unresolved guilt will drive us and the feelings of guilt will will drive us to do things we wouldn't ordinarily do. You've heard me tell this story. I got it out of the uh, the book, The Mind Changers by Emery Griffin. It's a great it's a great, great book. It really is. It's out of print. But it's if you can find one, it's worth reading. It's got some great cartoons in it. But but I mean, the, the text is good. But. One of the things that he talked about was at a university where they did an experiment. You know, most college students need money. And so they, the psychology department was paying some modest fee for people to engage in some sort of, um, some sort of, of uh, experiment, psychological experiment. And so what they would do is the person would come in and you'd come in, you know, like this, you're going to make your 25 or 50 bucks. This was a long time ago, so that 25 bucks would have been a lot of money. And, you know, and they'll enter, and you're sitting there in a room, and there's a bunch of you. And so they'll come pick two of you out, and you, you'll go in with another person. They'll introduce you, and you just assume that the other guy or the other person is there the same as you are in the answer to the, to the campus newspaper ad. And so... They say, okay, we're going to do the experiment. And so you walk into the room and they sit down. And this other guy, they put in a chair and they start wiring him up. They put electrodes on his fingers and everything. And you're sitting there going, what's up with this? You know, and they sit you in a chair and then they put a button in front of you. And they say, okay, here's the experiment. We are going to ask him questions. And every time he gives a false answer, we say to you, we, we give you the nod, you push the button. And it will administer a minor electric shock. And you're like, what? You know, and so they and they and they said, no, no, it it's it's harmless. It's might be a little uncomfortable, but it's harmless. So they start asking him questions and they say, first, give us a deception for sure. They've got the question there. You know, they've got his name and everything. What is your name? And he lies about it and they nod and you push it. And it becomes evident pretty soon that this electric shock is not mildly uncomfortable. It's a little more than mildly uncomfortable. In fact, it's quite uncomfortable. 
And they ask a bunch of questions that are pretty easy, but then they start asking questions like, you know, what is the hypotenuse of a, you know, whatever. You know, stuff like that. What is the velocity of a sparrow in flight? Well, anyway, they, and this guy doesn't know the answers, and you're just back, 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 back. You know, and he's, you know, he's like this. And so then they unceremoniously say, the experiment is over. Thank you. You have no clue what they've learned, if anything. And as you're walking out, you say to the guy, and this is, they watched it this over and over. You say to the guy, man, I am so sorry. I didn't know that this was what this was. And I mean, I wouldn't have like that. And the guy says, you know, it's okay. You know, um, but you know what? Uh, you, something you could do for me, you know, if you would, you know, we're all, he said, I volunteer for, you know, like the Red Cross or something like that. And we're making phone calls to raise money, you know, cold calling people for donations. And would you be willing to help us with that? Now, they're intentionally asking that question because they know that that's something that 99% of people are going to say, I not only know, but heavens no. But a majority of people agreed why did they agree? Because they felt guilty. What the individual that didn't know was that the other person was not, was not a student that was there to make money. The other person was part of the experiment. The person, and there was no electricity. He was acting. And what they were doing was they were testing what the effect of inflicting harm on someone would do how far, you know, and they, the guilt it will, will cause us to, uh, will, will lead to, ang you know, if we have guilt long enough, it leads to anxiety. And if, you know, if somebody makes you feel guilty, and that's another thing they did, if somebody makes you feel guilty, you will, you know, you, you, the, there's, there's some sort of a problem. They will begin to avoid you. If you if if you your very presence makes them, you know, feel guilty, they will begin to uh, avoid you because the enemy comes and works on that sense of guilt and shame. And when they see you, they are reminded of it. Are you with me? And it will cause you to push away an individual who could help you. Would you like an example Yes, pastor, we would. I Good. Luke chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 from the ESV. And when they had, and I've entered uh, a little help here, cast their nets, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's guilt, his unresolved guilt, his shame, his condemnation, his very tender conscience that was more than aware of all of his failings. When he saw this, he went, oh my, leave me, Lord, leave me, Lord, leave me, Lord. Because he knew what kind of person he really was. How many of you can, how many of you can identify with Peter there? 
That's one way forward is to run away from it. The other way forward is that of the sociopath. And that is to just decide that you're going to sear your conscience and never pay attention to it. We have so many in psychology today saying, you know what? You know, I know those feelings of guilt arise in you, but that's from an overactive superego or from some training that you got, you know, and there's nothing. In fact, what was it? I can't even remember the guy's name who wrote a book that was supposedly conversations with God and some uh, some uh, young woman wrote in there. I've been taught all my life that it's not good, that it's not right to, um, you know, for people who are not married to. Uh, have sex and uh, to live together. And my boyfriend and I are living together and I'm just really, really, you know, under condemnation for this. What about this? And this guy writes back as God and says, you're not doing anything wrong. And we're telling people, you know, that's just an overactive superego or your conscience is overactive or something like this. Jay Adams, who was a pioneer in the field of Christian counseling, said that the conscience is like the red light on your dash that is telling you something is wrong. That, that feeling of, uh, that, of, of guilt, that feeling that something is wrong and needs to be dealt with, needs to be investigated. And he said, modern psychology's answer is to take a ball-peen hammer and smash the light and go on merrily down the highway until the engine seizes, which it will. It has led to such a rise in sociopathy, people without conscience, that is gutting our culture. Truly, what Jesus said in Matthew 20, uh, 24 is true, that lawlessness is increasing. Well, what do we do about guilt? Well, first of all, we have to realize this. Jesus paid it all. When you say all, that means there's nothing else left. Resolving guilt in God's people is part of what Jesus came to do. He dealt with the cause of the guilt directly. He dealt with sin. Sin of every kind, from the smallest to the greatest. When I was a kid, I remember the first lie I ever intentionally told. I remember the first time I stole something. I haven't stolen very many things in my life. But when I was a little kid, we were at the colonial market where my parents did business. I was like a kindergartner or first grade. And they had a whole box of number two laddie pencils. I may remember those number two laddie pencils. I think they're yellow today, but back then they were blue. And I coveted a laddie pencil. I already had one. And I walked out of the store with one of their laddie pencils. You know, uh, that little kid just ripped us off. I remember doing that. Um, and one of the things that, con, you know, uh, the worst thing I or anything else have, have ever done, it, you know, we have, a, we have a tendency to remember those things. Think about, I mean, I've never been a mass murderer or a murderer at all, 
I've, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've never stolen anybody's car or a whole bunch of money or swindled anybody. But you know what? The closer I get to God, the more tender my conscience becomes. And the more tender my conscience becomes, the more the enemy comes to whoop my head and to, to, to deal with, you know, make me feel unworthy and substandard and shameful. Why? Because that will gut your faith. You'll have a hard time believing God. Why? Because we turn God into us. And we'll say, I wouldn't forgive me. So I'm pretty sure God won't. Oh, I know he says he does. But I don't feel it. Well, since when did we go by what we feel? But it'll affect your faith. And I want you to think about this. Let's back up here. Let's, let's look at John. We were, uh, we were in John 8 earlier. We started with that. Let's back up all the way to the last verse of John chapter 7, which is actually, I don't know why they did it this way, because the paragraph, the way it's arranged. From the English Standard Version, 753 through 811, it says, And they each went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, in the middle, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. The very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They said this to test him because that, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We do not know what he wrote. That's one of the questions when you see Jesus, you can ask him. What were you writing? T-U-R-K-I-E-S. Well, anyway. Turkeys. And they said, continued to ask him. They kept pastoring him. So he stood up and said to them, let the one, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. From now on, sin no more. Specifically, don't do this. That would be the context. Now I want you to think about that. Here you are brought to the Son of God. And your guilt is being used by the devil as a pawn in a game of political power, which is exactly what's going on here. The enemy loves to use guilt to manipulate us to do. And all of this in John chapter 7 is before the resurrection and still he did not condemn her. 
even while warning her to go and sin no more. Well, now think about that. If God doesn't condemn me, does God condemn me? Well, I don't think so, because it says specifically in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore how much? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much is no? None. Zero. God will convict his children, and there's a difference between conviction, God dealing with us, talking to us, and condemning, because condemning brings punishment, damnation. That's the idea. But it says there is, and God will convict us concerning sin because he can't approve sin. But if I'm experiencing waves of condemnation and guilt and shame, something is going on because God is not the author of that condemnation. And we can believe the scripture that that is true. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith. That word justified means declared righteous. By faith, we have what? Is it up there? No. Therefore, having been justified, declared righteous by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been declared righteous How? By faith. Everybody say by faith. That is why the devil will come and work overtime to get you to to live in that condemnation because he knows that will destroy your peace. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, I want to get to that word, uh, hilasmas, propitiation, in, in just a second. But first, did you notice that God sent his son before we believed? Before we declared, were declared righteous. Back over there in Romans 5 where we just quoted verse 1 a minute ago. It says, while we were yet enemies, God sent his son. Everybody say amen. amen. So in other words, God's forgiveness and his propitiation. That propitiation. The word propitiation means payment in full. But that word, hilasmas, can be, um, can be translated a different way, or he lost mas, and it's the emphasis on the last, the last syllable. It could be translated just as easily expiation. To expiate means to wipe completely Hallelujah. clean. Yes. Now, the other night, morning to Carl, we're going to the board. I wasn't planning on doing this. But the other night, and I, I love to, you know, do things on the board. Uh, Scribble, scribble, unreadable text. Oh, don't forget this one. Bad math. Okay. So, if I were to let this 
go for a little while longer, it will get more difficult to erase. See, I do this. And I'm bearing down pretty hard. If that's our sin, we're in trouble. But the blood of Jesus... This is expiation. I mean, you have no idea what was previously there because the blood of Jesus expiates it, wipes it completely clean. That's why we can say we are justified just as if I'd never sinned. Wow. But if the enemy can't get us to be sociopaths, he'll try to get us to ruminate on past errors. He will replay, I don't even know what I'm talking about, he will replay things to, in your mind in 4K Ultra high definition, high dynamic range, Dolby 9.1. And he even has an emotions track that will just cause shame and embarrassment. You know what? Let's just be completely and totally honest. Every one of us in this room has things that we are thrilled. No one else in this room knows about us. Oh, they answered him not a word. Oh, not me. I'm perfect. Okay, we found one of your faults. <laughs> Let's keep moving, all right? And what he tries to do is to give us a condemnation, emotional guilt trip beat down. So I ask you, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for them, those who are in Christ Jesus. It says that Jesus is the propitiation, the expiation of our sins. I will ask you the question that is age old. Whose report will you believe? Will you believe the report of the Lord? Or will you believe the report of the enemy and of people? Which voice will you obey? Will you obey the voice of the accuser? Or we, will we obey the voice of the Savior? Forgiveness is offered to me. A completely clean record. Expunged. If you want to use that word. But I receive that by faith. I don't have to say ten Our Fathers. I don't have to say nine Hail Marys. I don't have to do, go do community service to receive forgiveness. He may have me do community service, but it won't be with the idea of trying to do some sort of penance or restitution for my sin. Because there is nothing that I can do. I mean, and the and thing of it is, only God can forgive what, you know, when we do someone else wrong, that person may forgive us, but we've offended the righteousness of God as well. Feelings of condemnation. Now I'm going to just shoot straight with you. If you don't know this already, and those of you watching by web, 
If you're going to walk with the Lord, feelings of condemnation will come. I said feelings of condemnation, not real condemnation, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But you can feel condemned. You can feel a heavy weight of guilt. But it's not about me. It's not about my worthiness. And who on earth am I to say God is wrong and my feelings are right? Who am I? You talk about pride. I might think I'm being humble, but I am being prideful to the max because I am now saying that my feelings are more trustworthy than the word of the living God. And feelings of condemnation will come, but we deal with those by speaking to them, speaking the word over them, worshiping God, and believing what he has said about us. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says this, But this we know, or by this we know, we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Hallelujah. And he knows everything. That same church to which I referred when I was starting this message several hours ago. Um, we had a discussion about speaking in tongues. It's a Baptist church. Fundamental Baptist church. Local New Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, local, fundamental, New Testament Baptist church. Good people. Very good people. And I remember one day a discussion came up concerning speaking in tongues. I had never even heard of speaking in tongues. I'm a Methodist. You know. And I heard somebody say, you have no idea what you're saying. You know, I think that's the devil. Well, that just rolled off my back because I didn't have any idea what, you know, what it was they were discussing. And when I got to Germany and I was in, you know, I was, you know, it was just, here's a kid from the plains who's used to being able to get in his Cuda. And, you know, you know, it's a Barracuda, Plymouth Barracuda. Okay. 340 Carter 50 Thermoquad. Hemi-torque flight transmission. And drive. And I'm in this city that's got a wall all the way around it. Nasty Russians and these Germans. Just waiting for me to cross a line. And I'm, you know, ah, I don't like this place. Actually, wasn't bad uh, tour of duty, but I needed to have a mental adjustment. And a friend of mine asked me to come to this meeting. And we went to the meeting. And Brother Steve Lytle was ministering full gospel businessmen's meeting in the Kempinski Hotel on the Kafersendam, which is the downtown area of West Berlin. It's changed a lot since then. But and he talked about speaking in tongues and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm really hearing this for the very first time. And I turned to Alan and I said, I've never spoken in tongues or done anything esoteric like that. Have you fully expecting him to say no? And as you've heard me say in the past, they had just opened a Burger King there on the Kefirstendam. American food. Let's go over there. And that's what I thought we were going to do. He says, oh yeah, I do it every day. And I'm like, what? I mean, this guy seems so normal. <laughs> and I said, well, how do you, why would you, how do you, how do you do that? 
He said, well, they're talking about it down there. And Steve was down there telling everybody. And I went down there and he explained about being filled with the spirit. And then he prayed for us. And before he even laid his hands on me, I was speaking in tongues a mile a minute. Turned my life completely around. But what if I'm sitting there going, speaking of tongue in tongues is of the devil. And that's gotten on the inside of me. And I struggle to do so. What do I do? I can get in the scripture. Maybe I won't be able to do it right then. But then I get in the scripture. I begin to study to show myself approved. I begin to study out the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I begin to approach the Lord. I, we had several individuals within our church there in Berlin, servicemen, that had that problem. It took them a while, but they broke through and they received the experience once their faith grew to the place that they knew what they'd been told was wrong. And they had trained their consciences. I'm going to be with me here. Trained their consciences to know that there was nothing wrong with it and that it was from God. They reassured their hearts. Now, let me ask you another question. May I ask you a question? Well, you're going to get one whether you want it or not. Think about all of the things. Have you, how many of you have ever had something that you've said or done really just hang on your neck like a, the ancient mariner's albatross? And you knew that the word says you're forgiven, washed, expiated. Do and I'm going to ask you this question about a lot of things going forward because we're coming into days. The perfect storm is here. Weird stuff is happening. And I'm not just talking about in the government. That's beyond weird. Do you really believe when you read Psalm 91, when you read Deuteronomy 28, 2 through 14, when you read Psalm 23, when you read that, do you really believe that God is that good? Amen. I remember one time looking at a picture of a F5 tiger shark. Yeah, Jim knows what it is. It's a little Northrop built it. It was we we never flew them in our inventory, but several other nations did. They're small, they're maneuverable, they're fast. And there was I stumbled across a picture of a private individual here in the you know, that owned one, a two-seater, you know. And I went, I'm looking at that going, wow, I would love to have one of those. And the Holy Spirit said, well, what do you think? I mean, do you think God would? I said, you know, God, I don't know if you're that good. No, 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 that's really what it boils down to, isn't it? If, you know, now I don't know if it's God's will for me to have something of that nature, but how many times are we cheated out of something because we're just to the point where either A, we're, we just don't think we deserve it, which we don't, or B, because we're hindered in that revelation of the depth of his goodness. That's why Paul prays over in Ephesians that we might know what is the height and the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that we may be filled up to all his fullness. Nothing will hold us back from that faster than being under condemnation. To be led by the Spirit means we are no longer driven by guilt. Are you with me? Which is 
you don't hear me use guilt to bring people to do something, to make a decision for Christ or something of that nature. Because that guilt will, those guilt feelings will fade and then they'll step back from that decision to go, what have I done? I mean, I was, when I, we had one guy in seminary that was, one professor that was just really good at doing the tear jerking, grind you to, you know, uh, one of, you know, the, 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 one of the ones that was most ubiquitous was the story of the, of the fellow that operated the, the, the drawbridge that is so famous, you know, the drawbridge and, you know, his, there's a boat coming and he's got his little son there with him and he's showing him what daddy does and his son falls down into the mechanical parts of the, of the, the, of the, the bridge itself and his son, he can't get down to get his son out of it. His son is caught in it, but here's this, this boat coming and if he doesn't get the bridge up, people on the bridge are going to be killed. People in the boat may be killed and so, you know, he pulls the th lever or pushes the button or whatever and his son is killed ground up ew, in the like this to like this sacrificed for the greater good of the people on the bridge and on the in the boat and everything and all this stuff and everybody's oh, you know the son of God died for it. It, it, you know later you know just as I am and we the, you know we'll come down and using that you know somebody said well Pastor, what's wrong with that? It's not that it's wrong. It's just that later they haven't counted the cost and they answered the appeal, not from, a, from the spirit, from, but from the emotions of the soul. So you don't you hear me use stuff like that. I heard it used at school by that one prof. I even heard it used by my Methodist pastor when I was a kid growing up. I went, wait a minute, I've heard this story. I don't even think it's true. I think it's just a story. Well, you know what? Faith and guilt don't go together very well. It's kind of hard to walk on the water carrying a grand piano on your back. Now, would that really have anything to do with it? The answer is no, but it does the way we look at it. If our musicians would come, probably the most spectacular demonstration of a grasp of the love and the forgiveness of God I saw at Brownsville during the big revival down there many years ago. A very lovely woman came up and sang a beautiful special man the spirit was in it and she said when God, with her husband and her children sitting in the front row, she said, when God found me, I was a prostitute selling my body. And I thought, oh my. That's, you know, if that had been me, I, I wouldn't want people to know that. But that meant that her sense of who she is and whose she is was developed far beyond mine. What an awesome, beautiful picture of what somebody who knows what God has done 
and is standing in it without shame. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting, let's say that word together, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. He goes on pressing on. Forgetting what lies behind. Every failure, every sin, every foul up, every malicious thing, word, whatever I've ever done, forget it. Forget it. Turn to somebody and say, just forget it. Amen. Because the Son of Man has set us completely free. And so you are free to forgive yourself. And may I add, if it's possible, you're obligated to. You're obligated. Just like you're obligated, you know, to forgive others, we're obligated to forgive ourselves. Because God says, you don't, don't, you know, don't beat yourself up. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Tell your feelings that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are forgiven. You are free. You are clean. If you have to stand in the mirror and point at yourself and tell yourself that, keep doing it because the day will come that you will believe the Word of God and you believe the Word that's coming out of your own mouth. Forgive yourself. Why do you need to do that? Because God has a lot more for you to do going forward. And He needs you to be in excellent faith condition. You say amen. Let's all stand. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.